I'm Leanne Anderson, and every week I look through your search histories to get you the answers you're looking for. Let's get curious. Welcome back to another episode of Chaos to Curiosity. I am so excited for this one because I interviewed my dad. I had my first guest on the podcast, and he talks all about his experience with shipping fish to other areas of the United States, and it's very interesting, so stay tuned for that. But first, I want to get into a little bit of a story time about the theme of this week's podcast and how it came to be. We are traveling home from Texas to Utah to visit family for Thanksgiving, and I completely forgot about our dog when I initially planned on flying. Our dog is a 30-pound Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, and I don't know why I thought that there would be an easy way to take him on a flight. I just had never looked into it. And now I'm realizing how complicated it truly is to try to take a dog on a flight. So I had a lot of questions this week, a lot of Googling about traveling with dogs. So if that's something you're interested in, stay tuned. I'll also bring up fish and other animals. So I wanted to bring up my current hyperfixation because I think it's interesting to hear about what people are super interested in right now. For me, I am a born-again Swifty. In the last three weeks, I have gone from not getting it, kind of hating her a little bit, to now truly respecting her as an artist, as a lyricist, and jumping back on board that train. I was a fan back when I was 14. And her first album came out. I remember listening at school with my friend Sarah, sitting against the lockers with shared earbuds. And I thought it was the best thing I'd ever heard. I grew up listening to Carrie Underwood and Tim McGraw. So her song, Tim McGraw, just an immediate win for me. And I had just been dumped pretty savagely by my first crush. Uh, we, we had not been dating that long. This is a side thought, but maybe you care. I had offered to kiss him as a birthday present because I was 14 and had no money and I'd never kissed anyone and I thought maybe that would be a good present. <laughs> um, he did not agree, shot me down, and then he went inside and told everyone. We were at a very small charter school and he told everyone what happened. And I was just so embarrassed. Anyway, Taylor Swift really connected with me in that moment because she was singing about these boys. They're breaking her heart. Somewhere along the line, I changed my musical taste to be more indie. I thought it was too mainstream, too on the nose, kind, and I didn't think she was very good. And so I, I wanted to listen to more indie stuff to be cooler for a long time. But now here I am. I'm in my 30s. I'm embracing that sometimes mainstream is that way for a reason. She really is an incredible artist. And whether or not she has the most insane vocal range doesn't really matter to me at this point because her lyrics read like a beautiful poem. I'm loving the 1989 album. And if you guys are Swifty haters, I get it. But just give it a chance. Just listen to the recent music, and I'm sure you'll find something that you love. Now it's time to get in to this week's questions. I'm calling this segment Search Party. This may change, but I'm just searching random questions throughout the week that don't have a theme. And I have two this week. The first one was, does gum stay in your digestive tract for seven years? The reason I looked this up is because my toddler swallowed 
a couple pieces of gum and I was concerned about him. (laughs) So the Mayo Clinic says it's not digestible by the body. So similar to corn, it comes out whole on the other end. There have been instances of blocked intestines in children when they swallow large amounts of gum. Now, large amounts is not one or two pieces, but this is in kids that are already constipated. So if they're constipated and they swallow a lot of gum, it can cause um, blocked intestines. Next question. Why are men's shirt buttons on the opposite side of women's? Um, This I was wondering because I wear a lot of my husband's shirts and I am always, every single time I button it, I'm like, why is it this way? Smithsonian Magazine gives us the answer. It started back in the Renaissance and Victorian era when women's clothing was elaborate and really hard to put on. So they had servants that would help them get dressed and um, they put the buttons on the side that was most convenient for the right-handed servants. Men, on the other hand, largely got dressed alone. So they were right-handed. The buttons were on the right side and women's are on the left side for the right-handed servants. And there you go. That's why they're on the opposite side. Now, we're going to get into the rabbit hole of traveling with dogs. I didn't really realize the logistics of going to hotels. Because we're driving from Texas to Utah, it's kind of a far drive. And we're not going to do that all in one go with a toddler. That would be psychotic and impossible. And if someone has done that, kudos to you because that sounds awful. We're going to do about eight hours a day and stop in hotels twice. So first we looked into airlines because clearly going through an airport is much faster than driving across the country. But I learned quickly that the restrictions for flying with a dog over the weight limit and the size limit is too much to handle for me. So these are the different ways that you can take a dog on a flight. And I'm assuming, well, I'm not assuming, I know the cats are the same way. Most allow dogs as a carry-on, but they have to fit under the seat and they have to fit in their carrier. So if it's a hard, a hard carrier, then they have to be able to stand up and turn around in that carrier. The soft carriers can be a little bit bigger than the size under the seat because they can be compressed a little bit. Um, But that's the main way. There are some airlines that allow you to purchase a seat for the pet. The main ones are JetBlue, Alaska Airlines, and Etihad Airways. And then cargo. This is the one that is a little bit concerning, and I hope that people will listen to this. A pressurized, temperature-controlled area of the plane. Their kennels are strapped down, and there have been instances of dogs dying down there because the pressure varies throughout the flight. While it is pressurized and temperature controlled, it's not perfect and it's different than the cabin. Um, The ones that have died, it's usually because they have a pre-existing condition. So whether it's the respiratory system or their hearts, that causes them to die because of the drop in pressure. Um, I would never, ever put my dog in this area. The main reason is because my dog is intensely anxious when he's separated from me. His separation anxiety should be studied because he cannot be in another room. He's currently in his kennel in our other closet. And it's only a matter of minutes before he starts whining and scratching because he just hates being away from us. I, yeah, I would not recommend putting a dog down there. I believe this is the same area where they put human remains. And you'll hear a little bit about that with my dad's interview. (laughs) Okay, this one's really sad. 
in 2018, there was a woman traveling from Houston to New York. She had her 10-month-old French bulldog in a soft um, dog kennel. Her teenage daughter was with her, and she had her baby. The airline had approved the carrier because, as the regulations state, it has to be able to be compressed to fit under the seat, which was fine. The dog could stand up and turn around. TSA guidelines and United Airline guidelines were followed on this flight. The flight attendant forced her to put the puppy in the overhead bin because some of the kennel was allegedly sticking out on the side. And she fought the flight attendant on it, but she forced her to put it up in the overhead bin. And during the three-hour flight, the puppy died from lack of oxygen. Oh, it's so sad. I can't even imagine the heartbreak. There was somebody posted a picture of this, of the, the family after the dog had died and they had gotten off the plane. But the woman was distraught, just sitting in the aisle crying over this dog that had died. And it didn't even need to happen because it could have stayed under the seat. I believe the flight attendant was fired, but they definitely apologized. United Airlines apologized what had happened and there's allegedly cracking down on instances like that and making sure it doesn't happen again but I would never feel safe to fly with my dog because he is about 30 pounds and he's way too big to fit under the seat so I will not be taking my dog on any flights unless I can purchase him a seat so I would be worried about him peeing if he was in his own seat so I don't think I would do that either um, another thing I was looking into was the most pet-friendly hotels. As I was looking into like the Hilton and things like that, places where we'd normally stay with our credit card points, none of them were pet-friendly. And if they were, they charged a fee. So I was looking into which ones would allow pets and not charge an extra fee and just be more comfortable to be there with our dogs. And I found a few. The first one is the Red Roof Inn, where I have never stayed. I haven't stayed at any of these, actually, except one. This one allows one dog or cat for free, up to 40 pounds. And then if you have two animals or a larger breed, you call the manager and they can approve it on a case-by-case basis. Then the Kimpton Hotel. This is their, their pet policy at Kimpton. We invite you to bring your furry, feathery, or scaly family member, no matter the size, weight, or breed, all at no extra charge. If your pet fits through the door, we'll welcome them in. First, I would like someone to challenge that. I want you to bring in a mini pony or a sheep or a Komodo dragon and say, are you sure? <laughs> Can this really come in with me? I think it'd be funny. It'd make a funny TikTok. They also provide pet beds, food, water bowls, mats, and then the, the staff refers to them by name, which I think is adorable. And they don't have any restriction on the number of pets. So this would be a lot more comfortable. I think this one's a nicer hotel. So if you're, if you're I know a specific friend that would love to bring her two dogs to this fancy hotel, she would love it. Um, the Element Hotel. I'd never heard of this one. But all Element Hotels welcome dogs up to 40 pounds. And most of them don't tar- charge pet fees, but some of them do. They have a Love That Dog program that provides beds, towels. No, not towels. They already have towels. Dog beds, bowls, and cleanup supplies. The policies vary by location, so you just have to make sure before you go. But that one seems like a really awesome one. The Virgin Hotels. 
Every Virgin Hotel welcomes dogs with no breed or size restrictions and no additional fees. They also get a bed, bowls, and a bandana. Oh, that's adorable. I'll be honest. I think I've chosen my dog groomer based on whether or not they give my dog a bandana at the end. I think it's the cutest thing. If you're paying like 90 to 100 bucks for a groom, you better get a little bandana. Anyways, the Motel 6 is the top one. Pets stay free, but if they're poorly behaved or pose a health risk, or if they are illegal, so like a, I don't know, like a jaguar or something, they can't stay on the site. There are some restrictions. What I love about this one is I, there are so many homeless people that have pets. And if they have enough money to pay for a hotel, they'll stay there for a night, get a shower, whatever. And Motel 6, because it's so affordable and they allow pets, this is like the ideal location for a homeless person to stay when they need a clean, safe place to be. So I think that's just wonderful. This is where we usually stay. Uh, well, not we've stayed there once altogether, but my husband stayed there a couple times on the way out to Texas with my dog and there were no issues there. So this is where we'll be staying as we drive out to Utah. The next question and the last one before I get into my interview with my dad is, can you take fish on an airplane? According to the TSA website and their Instagram, which is hilarious, by the way, follow TSA if you don't already, you can take a fish on an airplane. It has to be in a clear container and it has to be a carry-on and the TSA will inspect it. The fish has to be alive when you get on the plane. So it can't be like a dead fish because then it might be vodka or something. (laughs) Just make sure your fish is alive. Before our interview with my dad, I have two free business ideas for you. First, pay attention because I need this product. What I need is a renter-friendly stick-on product that will keep my dog from scratching the door. So a kick plate whatever but it has to be renter friendly and I have to be able to remove it when we move I'm thinking maybe it has like it wraps around the door and it has bungee cords on both sides so it covers like the bottom half of the door and there's like elastic or something holding it onto the door so both sides I don't know it's a free business business idea you guys work out the details the next one is a sleep training hoodie so if you're sitting there sleep training your child which we have done so many times with the same kid because their sleep patterns are never the same. It's a hoodie, but the hood is in the front and there are are holes on the side of the hood. It's like a long hood. Your hands can go into the hood and hold your phone or your Kindle. And then it's blackout, so you can't see the light through it. The hood goes over the top of your head, over the back of your head. So you can sit there and on your phone while you're waiting for your kid to fall asleep. If you've never sleep trained a child, you don't understand how boring it is to sit there for an hour waiting for your kid to pass out with nothing to do but think about all of the things you've ever done wrong in your life. So if you want to make this for me, I will be very grateful. I'm not actually crying, but it would be really great to have this thing because I'm getting really bored. Next up, we have my father, who is my first guest, and I'm so excited that I got to talk to him. Um, This is a very niche topic, and maybe not all people will be interested, but the ones that are interested, this is gold, because he has been doing this since he was, I think he said it was 13, 14, 
he breeds cichlids, which are freshwater fish, I believe from Africa, but I mean, I know they're from Africa, but I don't know where else they come from. But he's been breeding these fish and now he has so many of them and he's done such a good job of breeding these really rare ones that he ships them to pet stores all over the country and he's gotten it down to a science. So he talks about this shipping process and his backstory. Without further ado, here is my father. Hey, Dad. (laughs) Hey there. Thanks for coming on my podcast. You bet. How's it going over there? Good here in Utah. Texas is far away. Yeah, it is far away. So for context, for anyone listening to this that doesn't know, my dad lives in Utah, where I am from, but I moved to Texas recently, so we're pretty far apart. So the questions that I have this week are based on fish and travel. And since you are the expert of fish and travel, I thought, who better to call than my father? (laughs) What a strange thing it is to be a specialist in fish and shipping. I know. And it just kind of happened with the demand of your business. Mm -hmm. So tell the people that don't know how you got involved in fish first. Okay. So... It's funny because people who get involved with fish, it usually happens because they got a fish tank and they got some fish and they had a good experience with it and they had somebody that helped them get started. And that happened to me. My cousin, he had been into fish for about a decade. He was a decade older than me and he was paying his way through college in Utah by breeding rare fish and then selling them and shipping them. And so as a 13-year-old, and he was a 23-year-old, I got into it, and I fell in love. I was just hooked from the beginning. So then I had fish off and on for pretty much the rest of my life since that time. I still remember. um, So I grew up watching my dad do this. (laughs) It was so cool watching. Just I remember doing a science fair project on the little fish and how they reacted to a mirror. I think I picked that because I mm-hmm. I just got to sit and watch the fish for a long time. <laughs> like, that seems fun. Let's do that. Uh, um, but I didn't realize how strange it was to have so many fish in your house until other people started coming over and being interested in what you were doing. So it's cool to look back on yeah. and see how far it's come since then. Well, even today, that still happens when people come to the house. They're just... The first time that they're here, their mouth drops open and they go, wow, because it's so otherworldly compared to what you think is in a normal basement in a normal home. Mm-hmm. And since people can't see your basement through audio, could you describe your current fish setup? Yeah. So because my wife and I, um, most of our kids are grown and and not living at home, we had extra space in our home to create what is called a fish hatchery, I guess you could say. So I built a room that was 17 feet by 25 feet wide and long and converted it to a whole bunch of racks of aquariums and to where now I have 104 aquariums that are full of water and fish. And kids love going down there and helping feed the fish. I know that's Will's favorite thing to do when we come over. Because he gets to help feed the fish and he loves it. He loves and he it. only gets tired of it every once in a while. I know he's down there from like 8 to 10. I swear it takes you twice as long when he's helping. So tell tell the people how 
you got involved in shipping in the first place. I don't even think I've heard this story. Okay. Well, yeah, it was about, gosh, I don't know. It was maybe five years ago, something like that, to where because most of the kids were out of the house and I converted the fish room to a big fish room and I tried starting starting to sell these rare and unique um, fish that I was shipping, and they come from the family called cichlids. And some people have heard of cichlids and some not, but it's just a family of over 2,000 species of fish. And I've worked with maybe three or 400 in my lifetime of these different cichlids. So when I was raising them, I would bring in fish that I would raise up to be parents, and then I would create the conditions to where they could have lots of babies. And I only worked with ones that I knew were rare and that I could breed and then find an outlet for. But I tried to do that just in Utah here and sell all of my fish just in Utah for probably about seven or eight years before I even built the big fish room. And I felt like I was really hitting my head against the wall trying to create and market and then sell my fish locally because my fish were unique enough that I did have some market here. But I was um, breeding ones that were so rare that most people in Utah didn't know what they were or didn't have a there was not enough demand to maintain it. So I thought to myself, I have to learn how to ship these because I know there's a huge market in the U.S. for these fish and I just have to tap into it. So I was really nervous at first because I thought learning to ship fish, there's the potential that they would all die and I would do it wrong and make lots of mistakes and kill fish and lose money. But I thought, I can't um, do anything else but try this. And I once I decided that it was okay if I lost fish in the delivery and I would get better at it and finally figure out to, how to do it so that I wouldn't lose any of the fish in transit to wherever they were going. So I did. I started out and I asked all the right people as many of the questions that I thought I should ask to do it. And then I started shipping them. And so... It's a little unusual. You don't just call FedEx to come to your house or drop them off at a FedEx or a UPS place and drop them off. You can do that, but I don't because I work full time. So I need to make it really smooth and easy. So I started shipping um, from the airport. And so our airport is 45 minutes away. And I package all the fish um, and ship them wherever they're going. And I don't ship them to individuals because I work full time. I don't have time to do individual sales all over the country. So what I do instead is I, I sell everything wholesale to pet stores, and then I ship them to those pet stores that specialize in my kind of fish. And then they will turn around and acclimate them and get them all strong again after the shipment. And then they will sell them again, retail all over the world. And most of them stay in the U.S., but some go out of the country. So because mine are rare, my fish are in demand. And I'm one of the few people in the U.S. that does this on the level that, that I do it. So the, the actual process is pretty involved. And I don't know if that's what you want to hear next. No, that's, yeah, definitely. I do want to hear that because I feel like I've, I've talked to you a little bit about how that goes, but I just know you go to the airport, mm -hmm. package them a specific way, but I don't ever go with you. So I don't know what, what happens at the airport. So when you get to the airport, well, before you get there, how do you package them? So... There's a special kind of styrofoam box. It's just a, fire, a rectangular square styrofoam box with a lid that fits exactly within another cardboard box. And so that's what I put them in. So the styrofoam is intended to help control temperature. So if it's 
too hot outside or too cold outside, that helps control the temperature. But then if it's the winter time, like right now, it's getting colder in Utah. So if I were to ship this coming Wednesday, which I'm, I usually ship on Wednesdays, then I have to make sure I have to I put heating packs in the container as well. So the heating packs help control the temperature. If it's too cold outside, that keeps them um, at the right temperature until they get to their destination. And I even have to be concerned about which airports they stop at so that they don't get too cold at certain airports where it's much colder. So in the winter, if it's going to Denver, it's much worse than if it's stopping in Vegas first. So I have to think about route. I have to think about the place that their ultimate destination is. And then when I pack them, I have these special bags that have been built just for shipping fish that when you open it up and put the water in, the bottom flattens out and there's no way a fish could get caught in a corner. And so I put clean, fresh water from these barrels where I keep it. The water's aerated all the time so it's moving and stays healthy. Then I put that into the bag. Then I put the right number of fish into the bag. I write the name of the, t the species of the fish on the front of the bag and the number that's in that bag. And then I mark it off on my sheet of all the fish that they're getting for that particular store. And so when, then I go over to a packing station with the water and the fish in the bag. And then I'll, I'll squeeze the top of the bag, all the air out of it. And then I'll input just pure oxygen into the um, bag with the water. And that way, if they're in the, the bag longer, the pure oxygen helps them last longer in the bag. They don't run out of oxygen. So then I close the bag with rubber bands on the top. There are some people that use these sealing machines where they have an iron ring that clamps off the bag. But I don't do that. Um, it's just easier for me to use a rubber band. And I double rubber band it so the oxygen can't get out and leak out. And then they're really you know gasping by the time they get there or they die. And then I... Close. I have another huge um, plastic bag that is in the bottom of the styrofoam box that all the bags go into a fish. And that way, if any bag leaks, then it'll just leak into the big bag and won't leak through the styrofoam and the cardboard and into the airport or into the plane. So then I eventually close up the box and I just use regular packing tape to close up the top of the box. And if I had the heat packs in there, I just tape the heat packs to the top of the styrofoam box so they're inside the styrofoam box with the fish but they're not touching the water where it would heat up the water too fast and then i just close that box off start another box until my list of all the fish that i'm shipping is completely done and once that's done i go make sure that the invoice that i created with all the fish and the number and the costs that that's all correct because sometimes i miscount when i'm trying to do a general count in a fish tank of how many fish i have of that species Sometimes I miscount and by the time I'm done packing them, I've, I've had too few, so I have to lower the number I'm sending them and lower the charge. So once I have a final invoice and I've taped up all the bags with heat packs or not, then I drive up to the uh, Southwest Cargo Station that's at the Salt Lake International Airport. And the people there all know me because I've been there so much, and I go about this, you know, in the same shift usually every time on a Wednesday. So... They take my invoice, they get my ID, they have to make sure I packed it myself because that's one of the questions they're required to ask so that nobody could have slipped a bomb in there. So oh. They always ask me, did you pack this yourself? Yep, I did. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what would happen if you said no? Uh, I would never say no, but I do say sometimes that one of the boxes is from a, 
a friend of mine who packed his own stuff, but I looked at it oh, okay. before, and then they're okay with that. So sometimes I do ship with it. There's one other guy here in Utah County in Utah that um, we ship all the time together because his list of fish available is different than my list of fish available, and so people like to join our orders. So sometimes I do that, and when they ask the question, I said, I've checked the box as though this box was packed by a colleague or a friend and okay. it's also shipping. And they don't care. They just want to bombs in yeah. there. So they trust me by they're now, but they're still by law to ask the question. Yeah. Still have to ask me that question and they still have to check my ID. They actually sent me home one time after driving 45 minutes to get my ID because I had forgotten my wallet. Oh, dang it. So uh, I zipped home and got my wallet all the way back and I still made the flight. So I've had a flight picked out as well and the route that it would go if it has to go to another airport before it hits the destination. But most of the time, my shipments either go to Texas, to Southern Arizona, to California, or to Portland. Oh, those are the four main places that I go. But most of them, so wow, not by your house though. No, I mean Texas is yeah. so big. <laughs> what what place in Texas? He's in San Antonio. He has a store. Oh, that's not too there. far, but it's basically across the state in Utah. How, where are the fish kept on the on the airplane? Because I know that dogs are kept in the in like a pressurized cabin, mm-hmm. but they're, they've had dogs mm-hmm. die down there. The fish, yeah, they, they go into a, um, a special cargo hold and they, go, they have to measure each box that I bring up to make sure that it, they charge me the right amount because it, you're charged by inches and by weight. Both have an impact on the, the charge. And, so, and then they'll put them in a, in a temperature controlled cargo bay and they'll stack them with other boxes and you never know what they're going to be put with. And it's funny because every once in a while they restrict me on what flight I can go on because there's human remains being shipped home for the family from somewhere, like either military or some other reason. They don't want to be buried where they died. And so they are being shipped and human remains. There's a lot of things you can't ship with it. And one of them is live fish. I don't know why, but but they have to. That can affect my flight sometimes. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to understand if like the fish are the ones being affected or if the human remains are being affected by the fish. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the human remains that they want to protect them from like perhaps water damage to the shipment. I just don't know. So once the fish are on the flight, does someone just go to the same cargo hold at Southwest in the destination and pick them up? Yep. And so... Every time you drop off fish, they give you what they call an airway bill. And the airway bill, all it is is a document um, explaining the whole flight and where they're going to stop, where they're going to go, and what time they're going to arrive. And you you have to put on there that they're live fish, and you have to put on there how many boxes. They measure the boxes and then put all the measurements on the airway bill. And then it's the airway bill is intended for the receiver to know all the timing of everything and what's coming. They don't talk about the fish, of course. It's just the number of boxes and the weight. And then it's always paid collect. So I don't ever have to pay for the shipping. It's always the person collecting the fish. So the guy I ship to in San Antonio, he will just pick up. He'll go to, to the dock, the Southwest Cargo Station, just like I did to drop them off. That's where he'll go. And he will know where to go and what time to go based on the airway bill that gets sent. So whatever what I do when I leave the station after having dropped off the fish, they give me an airway bill number, and I give that to the collector, the person picking them up. And then he'll just follow that along, the flight along from that airway bill. He can go look and see where the flight is, how it's going, when it's going to arrive. 
And then he goes to the airport right as it's arriving. And then it's usually about a half an hour before they can pick him up. And then they just take him home. So the airway bill controls all of that. Wow. It's so much less involved than I was expecting. If you're shipping out of the country, they you need to declare that they're life fish. There are more rules. What countries do you ship to? Because you said it was international sometimes, right? Um, well, that's only the people who get them from me. Then they sometimes will ship to Canada. Oh, got it. So, Canada is just of, the U.S. dad. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> they have specific rules up there too and during covid it was really really messy nobody could even ship their their live fish so they had to wait and now they're it's happening again but not because of and i'm not doing it at that mine i'll go to these retailers and then they ship all over the u.s and sometimes to canada okay yeah but me just to those four main states that i told you well the more you know man anything else you want to tell the the people uh I guess not. It is a, it's a really fun thing for me. I work full time at my regular job as an administrator at a university locally, but I, um, this is what I do because I love it and I do it on the side and it brings in a really solid second income. So, um, that's why I do it because I've loved it since I was 13. And it's one of those things that when you finally stumble upon it, you know that that's one of the things you're meant to do your whole life. That's kind of what it is for me. So. Well, that's very cool. Very cool that you found that. If anyone wants to find you on the internet, where can they find you? I just have a, I don't have a regular website because it's more than I need, but I do have a Facebook fish page is what I tell people. So it's just all red aquatics on Facebook. I'm the only one there that has anything like that. And they can contact me through that or anything else. Thank you all for being here. I'm so glad you spent the last 30 minutes with me. I hope you got some laundry done or something in your house got cleaned or you had a great walk or drive. Whatever it is you're doing, I hope you got a little bit of a brain break. I'm excited to see you guys next week. Let's see where our curiosity takes us. Bye.